Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. What makes for a good pastor? If you were trying to find a pastor, what would you look for? If even you were somehow responsible for looking to hire a pastor, what would you look for? And that's why I think in our culture, lots of times when we think of what would make a good pastor, we think of skills. Um, we think of, well, can they teach? But then also we think, well, are they a good people person and a pastor? They're a leader. Do they have good organizational skills? Um, you know, what kind of leadership experience do they have? And so we start to think a lot about skills and experience. Now, those, I would say, should factor into that decision. But I want us to notice that the Bible speaks to this question. And the first place that the Bible goes isn't necessarily to skills or experience. It's really to character. First and foremost, when God is looking for men to lead his church, he looks for godly character. And that's what we see clearly in scripture today as we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Now, I want you to think through this. One of the reasons why you should care about the character of your uh, spiritual leaders and, and the leaders at your church is that as we see in 1 Peter 5, uh, your pastors are called to be an example. So your pastors are meant to be an example for you. So as you look at all of these character requirements, what I want you to do is not think, well, whew, I don't have to worry about these because that's for pastors and I'm not a pastor. Well, here's the thing. Your pastors are meant to be your example. So these character qualities are meant to be the examples for you. They are meant to be the things that you should be seeking after. So we're going to look at a lot of these different character requirements today that we see in 1 Timothy 3, and I want you to consider them, and I want you, as we go through, to, to to come back at the end and maybe settle on one or two or three of them that stick out to you as something where you say, man, I would like to grow in that. Uh, and then to spend some time praying specifically on that issue. Uh, let's look through some things here in 1 Peter 3. It says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. And there it speaks really of a strong desire. The word aspires there is sometimes the word that's translated lust. It speaks to a strong desire. And even that tells you, hey, that Greek word is not always a bad thing. It speaks of strong desire. And oftentimes it is speaking of a strong desire for something that is not correct or not right. But here it's saying, hey, if you have a strong desire for the office of overseer, you're desiring a noble task. And now what is this office of overseer. Well, that is the Greek word episkopos there, which is one of three Greek words um, that, that we really get these words that we use in more in our society of bishop or elder or pastor. All right. The bishop is, is kind of what has been translated mostly from this word overseer. Elder comes from another word, a 
presbyteros, and pastor comes from the word poimen and the idea of being a shepherd. Uh, But all three of those words are really referring to the same office. They're not referring to three separate offices where you've got, you know, your bishops over here and then your elders over here and your pastors over here. No, it's three words to describe the same office. And you can see 1 Peter 5 would be another good example of a passage where those words are all used interchangeably. So this is referring to, I guess, in our circles, uh, the words that you're probably most familiar with are pastor and elder. And really those are, are synonymous terms referring to the same office. And really there should be a team of men that are together as the team of pastors or elders uh, that lead your church. And here it's describing what kind of men those should be. And let's look at the the requirements. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And the idea there is simply that there is no charge that could be fairly made against your leaders. And and again, we have to realize that does not mean that your leaders are perfect because then there will be no pastors or elders. This is not a call to perfection, but it is a call to a high level of character where there cannot be a legitimate charge of knowing sin or something underhanded or of breaking the law or or things like that um, that could be legitimately brought against the leaders in the church. And then really you can view a lot of these other things are really uh, explaining, amplifying what it means to be above reproach. Because if I asked you, hey, what's the number one reason uh, that pastors will, will get disqualified from ministry? Probably the first thing that comes to your mind, even in your own experience, is some kind of sexual sin. And that's where, hey, the passage goes right there next, the husband of one wife, or sometimes people translate this with the idea of a one woman man, uh, that the pastor is committed to his wife and is faithful to his wife. Uh, The next term there is sober minded. Uh, this idea of sobriety, we clearly think of you're not under the influence of alcohol. And I think that's part of it here, but there's a lot of ways our minds can get intoxicated uh, without the influence of alcohol or drugs. Uh, Think of worry, think of anxiety, uh, think of the fear of man. There's so many things that can cloud our thinking um, and we want our leaders to be clear thinkers. They need to be self-controlled. They need to be able to control their desires. They should not be known as impulsive men. They need to be respectable. I think this carries even just into their conduct. Um, they need to be hospitable. Literally, that term means lover of strangers. They should be people that are generous and welcoming. Uh, and here, when we think of skills, if it's the first thing that came to your mind at the beginning when I said, hey, what are you looking for in a pastor? Uh, they need to be able to teach. Uh, you know, They need to be able to teach well. That is in God's requirements. They must be able to teach. They must not be a drunkard. Um, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Those kind of go together. Your pastor should not be a pugnacious person that loves to fight. Uh, that doesn't mean that they don't stand for the truth. We clearly see in First Timothy, that's an important part of their job, but they must do it uh, in a way that is not seeking to be argumentative or quarrelsome, but gentle, not a lover of money uh, is another important one there. Uh, that's probably another thing that comes to mind when you think of pastors you've heard of that have been disqualified, some kind of financial impropriety. And then we see God cares about the pastor's home. He must manage his own household well with all 
dignity, keeping his children submissive. Uh, so that there you see, well, he needs to keep his children submissive, but there's a lot of people that do that without dignity, right? They do that with a very heavy hand in an, in an unbiblical way. So with all dignity, he is to keep his children submissive for if one does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And then we see the warning. He shouldn't be a recent convert. So he's not puffed up with conceit. And also he must be thought of well of by outsiders. And again, I think the apostle so Paul's a good example of this. That doesn't mean that everyone on the outside just loves your pastor. To some extent, if that's the case, there may be a problem because faithful ministry will bring about some level of persecution. And we see that in the Apostle Paul, but also we see the way he conducted himself did win him respect from people outside the church, even sometimes as he interacts with others or interacts even with the authorities. Think of the, the voyage in Acts 27 and how clearly he had won the respect of, of the commander there of the, the Roman soldiers. And then in the next verse, we get into deacons. Um, and so this is the word that could be literally translated servants. And this is a little tricky because it seems here it is referring to an office in the church uh, of deacon, but there's times where the same Greek word is used in what seems like a very generic sense that all Christians are to be servants in the church. First Peter four is everyone has received a gift, use it to serve. That's the verb form of this word here for deacon. So it seems as if there is a capital D deacon, more of an office in the church, but every Christian is meant to be a, you know, lowercase d, deacon. And here it gives some similar um, character attributes that I would encourage you to read and to think about. Uh, There's one interesting part of this passage in verse 11, where it says their wives. Now, literally, if that was translated just in the most simplest way, it would just say the women likewise. And that's where there's a little bit of an interpretive challenge. Who are these women? And the ESV is clearly said, hey, this is talking about their wives. Um, I take a little different uh, position or opinion on that, not a hill I would die on, but that this is referring to women. And I would point even to Romans 16. It refers to this woman, Phoebe, as a servant or deacon in the church. Um, So that's my opinion on the the better translation there. I don't think it would make sense for deacons. Hey, their wives have to be a a certain level, but the pastors, we don't have anything to say there. I think it's talking about both men and women that serve the church in this office of deacon. But again, my encouragement to you is read through all of these different things for the overseer and for the deacons. Um, And then I want you to pick out, you know, a couple of those and spend some time really praying about those in your own life, because you should not read these as, oh, well, I'm not uh, an elder or a pastor. I'm not a deacon, so I don't need to worry about these. No, these are the attributes that God is looking for from the people that he has called to be your example. These are the attributes that are meant to be an example to you. So just even as you read it, what are the, what are the couple that jump out to you as, Ooh, yeah, that is something I need to work on. And then spend some time just meditating on that. Well, why, why do you feel that way? Well, what is lacking in your life? Identify that and then seek to pray and ask God to help you to grow in those areas. Maybe even think of some other passages that'd be good to, to memorize or meditate on that would help you grow in those areas. And remember, this is what God is calling you to as an example.
Uh, now let's go back to 2 Kings 20 and 21 today, and we can be reminded here as we read about the end of King Hezekiah and then who comes after him of the importance of character and how the character of leaders can have a great effect. Uh, the Godly character of King Hezekiah had a good effect on the whole country while he reigned. But then as we get into his son and his grandson, we see bad character had a very negative effect. In chapter uh, 20, we see Hezekiah's illness and recovery. We've read about this previously, and we see the good example of, of his prayer. And then we also see his pride and kind of showing off for the Babylonians. And we see how God even says, hey, th- this is not going to be good. Um, but Hezekiah seems to have this almost nonchalant answer of, well, hey, at least there will be peace and security in my days. And maybe that's a hint of the problem that he knew that the generations that coming were not good because many Manasseh, his son who begins to reign, he is a wicked king. And you read about all that he does and it just hurts your heart to, to hear of all the evil that he's done under his reign. And then also you see then in the next king, Ammon. And we see now the the things picking up steam towards judgment in the southern kingdom of Judah. So just let it be another reminder to you of the importance of godly character and especially of the godly character of your leaders. So not only look at 1 Timothy 3 and, and look at it as an example for yourself, but let this be another reminder. Please pray for the leaders at your church. Uh, pray for your pastors. Pray for those that lead in roles of service at your church. And in particular, pray that God protects their character. I think our enemy knows one great way to cause a big disruption in good churches is to cause some kind of sin to take root amongst the leaders in that church. Pray for the leaders of your church that God would protect them and keep them according to these character requirements that we read about in 1 Timothy 3 and pray that as your leaders are blessed and living out the examples that God calls them to, that it would have a great effect and be a blessing to your entire church. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.